Welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. When it comes to raising kids, one of the most frequent complaints that any parent will tell you they get is that that's not fair, right? And what makes it even more difficult is often a kid's vision of what's fair is surprisingly similar to them getting their way, isn't it? Yeah. But the truth is, it's not just kids that are concerned with fairness. We all, really, when it comes down to it, are concerned with the issue of fairness. I think being treated unfairly is one of the most universally bad experiences that people have in this life, especially when it's done because of favoritism. There are few things that I think are more upsetting to us than when someone gets preferential treatment for no good reason, when the teacher has pets in the class. When the office kiss-up gets the promotion over much more qualified people. When someone um, gets special treatment because they have a connection with somebody in power, we get upset about that. Now, the problem with favoritism is, or at least one of the problems is, we are often a lot better at recognizing it when we're the one who's getting the short end of the stick, right? You know? But when it's us who's getting the favor or, or giving it, we're often kind of blind to the fact that that's favoritism. Um, there are times when we do see it, when we know that we're getting or we're giving some kind of special treatment and we don't care because that hypocritical part of us kind of takes over and that little kid in us wins out where what's fair is what I want. Now, sometimes we show favoritism in relatively minor ways. Maybe we ignore a rule at work for a friend. But favoritism can also rear its head in some really big and terribly ugly ways like discrimination and racism. But whatever form that favoritism comes in, one thing we can know for sure is that it's very common in our lives and in this world. Well, this morning we are continuing on in our series of messages called Real Faith for Real People based on the book of James. And as we've touched on again and again, the book of James is a very practical book. It deals with real life situations that we face every day, how to, how to live our faith in the midst of them. And it's also got a, a very down-to-earth approach that I think really appeals to regular people like you and me. But as we've talked about, James isn't just practical, it's also in a way, a very spiritual book. It teaches a spirituality that we live. James is not about going to find secret mystical knowledge on a far-off mountaintop in some corner of the world or becoming some kind of superhuman, super saint. No, James is really about a kind of organic spirituality that grows up in the lives of real people like you and me right where we are planted in this life. So in the first two weeks, James touched on living our faith as we face the trials of life and the temptations of life. And then last week, the focus was on how real faith needs follow through. It can't be just something that we talk about. 
It has to be, at some point, something that we actually live, that we actually seek to begin to live in obedience to God's word. Well, today, James deals with favoritism. And as we've heard, favoritism comes in many forms, but one thing we can know is it's never fair. And real faith, the kind of real faith that Jesus calls us to, is fair. And again, James is a practical book. And dealing with favoritism that's all too common in our world, well, it doesn't get a whole lot more practical than that, does it? So that's what we're going to dig into this morning. Pray with me. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts about favoritism, which, Lord, is something that we, we so dislike and yet is so insidiously, it's able to just creep into our own lives and for us to begin to practice favoritism in ways that we somehow accept or don't even see. And we, we pray, God, that you would speak with power to us, to our church, about your vision for us of a better way. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage for today in James is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 4 this morning. So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 to begin. James says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is how James begins. With verse 1, he just straight out says, favoritism is forbidden among God's people. And what's really interesting here is that what James says in verse 1 is in the present tense imperative in Greek, and that means that it's something that's already happening. This is not a theoretical, this is something that's already happening. In fact, a more literal translation would be stop showing favoritism because that's what's going on. So verse 6, a little bit later, we'll get to, gives us some insight. James says, you have insulted the poor. So James is confronting favoritism in this particular case that's based on wealth. But he's also very clear that favoritism of any kind, again, is not acceptable for God's people. And to stress his point, I want you to notice how James refers to Jesus as he opens the passage. He doesn't just say Jesus, uh, not even just the Lord Jesus Christ. He he lays out the full kind of gamut calling, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what I think that James is doing there is I think he's emphasizing the glory and the greatness of Jesus to draw out just how deeply, deeply inconsistent favoritism is with Jesus and with our faith in him. After all, if you look through the scripture, it tells us important things. It says straight up in Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. God doesn't do it. We shouldn't. About Jesus, it says in Matthew 22.16, it says that his enemies say of Jesus um, when they're talking to him, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they 
are. That's how Jesus is. And if you look into the letters of New Testament, one of the things it tells us is that Jesus actually tears down the barriers between people, barriers of race and class and gender. Jesus tears those things down. That's what we know of our God. It's also really important for us to think of the world that James was writing to. Now, I know that there are some of us who think we live in a time that where favoritism, racism, discrimination are at an all-time high, and some of us maybe think that they're maybe not so high, but the reality is no matter what we think, James was writing to a world where favoritism, racism, and discrimination outstripped anything that is going on in our world right now. The racism, the sexism, the classism, and every other ism were just well above anything we would know. I mean, we're not enslaving people, uh, at least in this country. You know, there's a lot of things that were going on in that world. Women aren't considered property here. It was just a much more brutal world that James was writing to. But Jesus, in the midst of that world, called his people to a better way. And because of that, Christians began to live in a better way. In fact, in a way that was shocking to the Romans and even to the Jews at some points. Because here in these Christian churches, what did you have? You had Jews and Gentiles sitting right together in church. Men and women sitting right together in church. Slaves and free people sitting right together in church. And it was scandalous to some degree in the ancient world when they lived the vision that Jesus called them to. Now, what we see in this passage is that that didn't just happen by accident. It actually took and still takes a lot of work to get there. So verses 2 through 4, James gives an example. He says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the, the fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, sit here or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, a really interesting thing to note here is that the word meeting, when he says, when someone comes into your meeting, the word there is synagogue. It means gathering, but as you can tell from the pronunciation, synagogue sounds a lot like synagogue, because that's what it also meant. It meant gathering. It also referred to the Jewish synagogue and the worship services that took place there. In the same way, interestingly, that the word church in the Greek, ekklesia, also means gathering, but refers to the Christian church worship service. So James uses this word, and what it tells us is that these early Christians, most of whom were converts from Judaism, that they were still uh, using some, some Jewish things as they went about their new faith. They were still calling church synagogues sometimes. And, and what's important about that is that it helps us to see that part of what James is confronting here is likely another carryover from early Judaism. You see, it was a custom in that time in the synagogues to give the very best seats in the synagogue to people who were, uh, had earned distinction in some way. And now, this began, innocently enough, as a way of respecting elders and leaders, but it, over time, became just a simple system of power and status, 
in the worst way. And what we see here is that that practice seems to have spilled over into the early church. And James is confronting, A, the fact that it's favoritism, that's what it is, and B, that it is simply inconsistent with Jesus and the faith that he calls us to. And I think it's not hard for us to imagine this very same thing going on today. How it would be so easy for a wealthy person or even a middle class person to come into a church and to receive one kind of treatment and for a homeless person to come in and receive another kind of completely different treatment. And that's not right. With verse 4, James says if we do this, if we discriminate against people in this way, he says we have become judges with evil thoughts. He's being kind of poetic there, but he's saying favoritism is evil. That's what he calls it. And we should let that sink in a little bit and preempt us from all those times where we might try to justify a little bit of favoritism because James says it's evil. That's what it is. Now, the title of this message is Pride and Prejudice, and I know the literary people among us will recognize that right off as the title of a Jane Austen book written in 1813, and I don't have time to go into the whole plot line, but the key thing is that the main characters in the book often exhibit a lot of pride and a lot of prejudice with one another based on, particularly on wealth and on social standing. And I think that when it comes to favoritism in us, Pride and prejudice are often key things at work leading us to that. Sometimes it's pride. It's putting ourselves over other people in an ugly, egocentric way. I'm better than this person. It's also pride in a different kind of way. It cuts in the other direction sometimes. Because you know, a lot of times the reason that we show favoritism to people, particularly to wealthy people or famous people, you want to know why? Because we might get something out of it. Somebody's poor, they can't do anything for us. But, so it's pride. Other times, it's just prejudice. It's downgrading others. Sometimes it's a little bit of both, each of them growing from the very worst inclinations of the human heart, of the fallen sinful nature that's in each of us. Pride and prejudice that cause us to have favoritism. Now, there's also, interestingly, there's a play on words in verse 4. The word discriminate and judge in Greek come from the same root, and so they sound alike. And so if you were reading this in Greek, it would sound something like this. Haven't you then judged among yourselves, and in so doing become unjust judges? It has a little poetic ring to it. And, and James is pointing out that by showing favoritism, we're putting ourselves in the position of judging others. And he also says we're really bad at it. Not only because we're unjust and we show favoritism, but we're also really unqualified to judge. We just simply don't have the ability to know what we would really need to know in order to adequately judge another person. 1 Samuel 16, 7b says this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
God has a completely different perspective than we do. We look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We focus mostly on things that don't matter. God looks at what really does matter. Only God is qualified to judge because, for one, only he's unbiased. And number two, only he has a perspective to really know who we are truly on the inside. So when we show favoritism, we are judging others. And when we are doing that, we are playing God. And I got news, that job's already been filled. (laughs) And the Lord doesn't take kindly to it. Not to mention again, that we're really bad at judging others. We have no idea why they do what they do, what's going on in them. And we so often just get it absolutely wrong. Well, let's look at verses five through seven as we continue through this passage. James continues and says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promises those who love him. But if you have dishonored the poor, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him To whom you belong. So James expands here on the fact that God looks at people in a very different way than we do. And in verse 5, it says that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And the first thing that we might say is wait a minute, is that true? And if it is, How is that fair? I mean, isn't James talking about what's fair here? How is that fair? Well, what James is pointing out here is something about, again, God's perspective. And James is saying that from our perspective, being poor is a bad thing. We don't want to be poor. But from God's perspective, being poor provides a greater opportunity to excel in faith. Now, the truth is that the poor are often in a position that allows them to understand things about faith much more easily than those who have wealth. Wealth is very clearly spoken of in the New Testament as often a stumbling block to spirituality. It doesn't have to be, but it often is a stumbling block to spirituality. And if right now you're tempted to say, well, not me, I'm not wealthy. Remember, you live in America. You're already by virtue of that fact in the top 1% of the entire world. So we would all be wealthy by the standards of James. Many people who've gone on mission trips around the world return, and they have these incredible stories of things they have learned from the poor. They often realize that they have mistakenly believed that they needed a lot of stuff to be happy. (laughs) And then they found that some of the happiest people in the world have nothing. And they frequently recognize how dependent their faith has been on their life going well. And then they meet people who are in horrible circumstances and have amazing, amazing faith. And they've seen how easily easily their wealth has caused them to depend on it and not on God. Whereas those who are poor simply don't have that option. 
They can't fall back on their wealth. All they have to hold on to in many cases is God, and it builds their faith in ways that sometimes just doesn't happen with us. And James' point is that the poor, these people that we are so often prone to judge and discriminate, well, they are people that God dearly loves and highly values. And James says in verses 6 and 7 that when we do these things to the poor, when we discriminate against them, when we judge them, we blaspheme the name of the Lord. It's like we're say, when we say something bad about them, it's like we're saying something bad about God. You, you pick on God's kid, you upset God. That's the, the, the way this is working. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, pastor. I've never done that. I don't exploit the poor. I don't, you know, pick on poor people. And, you know, that, that may be true, but this is just an example. And James' greater point is that wherever and whenever we show favoritism, we are discriminating against people that God loves Because God made everyone, and God loves everyone, no matter how much money they have, no matter what color their skin is, no matter where they're from, no matter what their religion is. So a really important question for those who would desire to grow deep in faith, for those who would desire to live deeply into this lived spirituality that James is talking about, would be to ask ourselves, where do pride and prejudice, where are they likely to get the best of me and cause me to look down on some and to show favor to others? You know, the church has a pretty historically poor track record in this area at times. And a lot of people would say, we still have a pretty bad track record today of treating some people one way and other people another way. So where, again, where is pride and prejudice likely to get a hold of you? Is it with people of other races? Is it with the LGBTQ community? Is it with people of other religions? Is it with those people in the other religious party, those demons that are trying to destroy America? Is that, is that it? Is that where pride and prejudice are likely to tear away our souls and draw us into this ugly thing? Friends, as people holy and dearly loved by God, we have got to do better than that. Because how we treat others says a lot to the world about what we believe about our God. So what do we believe about our God? Uh, Google searches tell us an awful lot about what we actually believe, don't they? Luckily, they're secret, right? Well, that's the conclusion of U.S. data scientist Stephen Steffens Davidowinski. Um, he analyzes Google searches, anonymous, so don't worry. Um, his research shows something disturbing about our prejudices. He writes, consider what happened shortly after the mass shooting in San Bernardino, California in 2015. You remember that? He says, that evening, minutes after the media reported that one of the shooter's named names was Muslim-sounding, 
The top Google search in California with the word Muslim in it was kill Muslims. And overall, he says, America searched for the phrase kill Muslims with about the same frequency that they searched for martini recipe and migraine symptoms. In the days following the attack, for every American concerned with Islamophobia, another was searching kill Muslims. He also notes the popularity of hate-fueled internet searches for the N-word. The word is included in seven million American searches every day. Seven million. Searches for, for N-word jokes are 17 times more common than searches for any other ethnically derogatory joke. And when are these searches most common? Whenever African Americans are in the news. Among the periods when searches are the highest was in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005, when the television and newspapers showed many images of desperate black people in New Orleans struggling for survival. They also shot up during Obama's first election and searches rise on an average of 30% every Martin Luther King day. These are signs of favoritism in its vilest form, but they are certainly not the only ones. Do you think that God is good with these things or anything remotely like them in his people? Because when our actions illustrate that he does, it must just break the Lord's heart. The world we live in is full of darkness. It's full of lost people doing damage to one another. But we are God's representatives here in this world, and we are called to something better, to a higher standard, to be light in a world that is otherwise so often dark. We are to treat all people with respect and with value because as people of faith, we know that God made them. We know that God loves them. And we know that as it says in Genesis, that every single person is stamped with the very image of God to disrespect, to show favoritism against another person is to disrespect and to show favoritism against someone who bears the image of our God. And we know that the Lord calls us to something better than that. Let's take a look at the last part of this passage, verses 8 through 13. James says this, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Now, with verse 8, James points out something very important, and, and it's that this is not a new subject. It's not a new issue. Showing favoritism has always been contrary to God's word, and he does this by reminding them of what it says in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes these words when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and some of us think they originate with Jesus, but they do not. They go back to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, and so James is saying this has always been God's call, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves and not show favoritism. And then in verses 9 through 11, James wants to make sure that we can't wiggle out of this by doing what we often do, which is rationalizing our favoritism as something small, as somehow some kind of acceptable sin. Did you hear what he says in verse 10? He says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. James says it's not a matter of degree. We always want to make it a matter of degree and say, well, I only do small sins. But the Lord says it's not a matter of degree. He says here, if you break any part of God's law, you sin. You're a lawbreaker. And therefore, we're all in the same boat. That's the truth about us. Verse 11, we are lawbreakers. And you, we got to see the irony here because there's some real irony. We who would set ourselves up to judge other people are reminded here of who we actually are. We're lawbreakers who have no leg to stand on to judge anyone. We're all sinners in need of God's mercy. And that's the note that James closes on. He urges us in verses 12 and 13 to have mercy on one another just as we want God to have mercy on us. And he offers a warning. He says, remember, God is fair. He won't allow us to judge some people in one way and then receive something different from him. We can't work a game on God. He's fair. He's not going to let us do that. The call for us is to give what we want to receive to others. God's very clear. If you want mercy and grace from me, you got to give mercy and grace to others. We shouldn't play favorites because God doesn't. God has mercy and grace on anyone and everyone who humbly calls on Jesus' name. Pastor John Ortberg writes this. He says, our fallenness makes us want to be a part of not just any group, but an exclusive group. By definition, every society includes people who connect, who belong to one another, yet every society includes people who feel left out who don't get chosen at recess, who get blackballed and cold-shouldered and voted off the island. We exclude others because of pride or fear or ignorance or the desire to feel superior. I thought of this tendency to divide people the last time I was aboard an airplane. The first-class passengers were served gourmet food on China. Those of us in coach ate snacks out of paper bags. The first-class passengers had room to stretch out and sleep, and those of us in coach were cramped. The first-class passengers had moist towelettes for comfort and hygiene purposes. Those of us in coach had to sit and stew in our own facial juices. (laughs) I love that. He says, on almost every flight, once the plane is underway, a curtain gets drawn across the aisle to separate the two compartments, and it is not to be violated. It is like the Berlin Wall or the veil that separated the court of the Gentiles from the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem Temple. 
The curtain is a reminder that some people are in first class and some people are not. Those who are not in first class are not to violate the boundary. They can't even see what's going on on the other side of the curtain. On a recent flight, a voice came over the intercom system telling us that because of a new security measure, the attendants were not allowed to fasten the curtain. But the airline wanted all of us in the court of the Gentiles to know that we were not allowed to use the facilities in the Holy of Holies. Even though there was one restroom up there for eight people, and we had two restrooms for several hundred, most of whom were six years old and had been drinking soda pop for the entire flight. <laughs> Let the curtain stand for a tendency deep within the fallen human spirit, the tendency to exclude. In the act of exclusion, we divide the world up into us and them. And counter to that awful tendency to exclude others comes James and his message that real faith, the kind of faith that Jesus calls us to, seeks to be fair. That God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. The call for us is to remember that in Christ Jesus, there is no us in them. There is only us. So let's do this. Let's seek to rid ourselves of pride and prejudice and favoritism that we might please God, that we might do what is right, and that we might shine light instead of darkness into this world Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we just pray that you would use these words of Scripture to penetrate deep into our souls, to help each of us root out any small places, Lord, or large places where pride, where prejudice, where favoritism may have taken root in us, that we might seek to have hearts that reflect you. In Jesus' name, amen.